Welcome to the Religion and Story Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about what does the Bible mean when it says that something is God-breathed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 say that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But what does that mean in our everyday life, and what does it mean for our theology? We'll be discussing that topic and its implications today. Daniel, why don't you get us started with what the word literally means? Yeah, so the Greek word that's translated here as God-breathed is uh, theopneustos, which is just the combination of the word God and breathed. Um, you may recognize neustos as a cognate of words like spirit um, and wind. And so the, the word here um, is often understood as inspired by God. Some translations even translate as such, inspired by God. Um, I think when we translate like that, that brings with it uh, later theological um, import and uh, baggage that we have to understand, um, that the word inspire is just uh, a Latinized way of saying breathe. So we to, ha- to make this conversation as constructive as possible, let's uh, rein it into the basics and fundamentals of this uh, this verse that we're going to elaborate on. And that is, the, the word here is just God breathed. Um, with that said, it's worth noting that this term, theopneustos, does not appear anywhere else in Scripture, specifically in the Greek. Um, it's very possible that this is a term that is coined by Paul. Uh, with that said, that... Uh, This idea of God-breathed does appear a few other places in Scripture, most notably in Ezekiel with the Valley of Dry Bones, where God breathes life into the bones and creates um, this army, which is never actually used. It's all part of a metaphor for Ezekiel, um, but it's relevant there. The um, other important place, which I think is more theologically uh, relevant, is in the creation story in Genesis chapter Two, where God breathes life um, into this man that he's fashioned from the earth. And he, he gives this man life, makes him a, a living person. Um, so those are the two places where we see this idea. But like we said, this is the only place where we see this somewhat cryptic term, God breathed, where we get our later, uh, larger theologies of Uh, revelation and inspiration, which are obviously crucial to the Christian faith. So that's where we start from. Uh, Stephen, what what are some of the important conversation topics surrounding this verse? Where do we go from here? Well, if you're wanting to relate the God-breathed to uh, inspiration, like you said, uh, this could be something that Paul coined himself. Uh, I did want to point out one other verse where, uh, well, there's a few other verses, but one that at least stuck out to me about the breath of God uh, is found in John chapter 20, verse 22. Um, I believe it's Jesus spoke to them, um, and I may be misquoting this, uh, 
Jesus spoke to them or breathed on them and then said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so at least in this verse, we have uh, a direct uh, connection between the breath of God and receiving the Holy Spirit, which uh, if you do a a study of the Holy Spirit, at least I believe the Holy Spirit is... uh, acts as a a connector, if you will, between us and God, Uh, the uh, maybe um, something that can decipher a language uh, and give us the message uh, that God is supposed to or that God is wanting to give us. Um, If we are to understand what God's will is for us, then we if we are in Christ, that is the only way that we're going to be able to understand the message that God is going to give us. Uh, I believe it's, uh, is it in 1 Corinthians that it says that it, the word of God or the message of God is foolish to those who are not in Christ? Um, and so yeah. the inspiration, we're going to have to go to other verses if we're going to connect the breath of God to it actually being inspired uh, rather than just relying on the theopathy. Theopneustos to give us the direct connection between the inspiration of God being God-breathed and that anything that uh, is connected to the breath of God uh, means that it has the value of God's direct words. Um, Because at this point, all we have is man's words for what they're worth, and they're worth just that man's words. Without the Holy Spirit being present, then... um, this inspiration is not going to be in existence. And so once we see that the Holy Spirit is present uh, in these uh, men, then we can see that God's word is being passed on to them, through them, and written down on the paper and then given to us through scripture. Uh, Michael, uh, any other scripture references come to mind that you can add to the the, the discussion? So I, I wanted to ask, if it's appropriate to add in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, at the very beginning where God breathes into Adam, you know, this breath of life uh, that he is animating Adam w- with his own breath. And I wonder if y'all think it's appropriate that we bring that forward, that uh, not only is you know, the word made flesh, you know, John chapter 1, the, the animation of God himself. But we also see that when Scripture is breathed out by God, that Scripture is the animating character of, of who we are, that it brings uh, meaning. So that when it says that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, you know, it, it's saying that it is proper to use Scripture to, to mold and to shape your very life. What, what do you all think about that? Yeah, I can definitely add on to that because we see uh, in Acts where the uh, Berean church, they're testing what Paul is saying based upon the other scripture. And so if that is our, uh, it, it's our standard that we're living by, then why, are, why would we set our standard based upon just the other words of men? Uh, that's not a high standard at that point, is it? Uh, if you're just comparing uh, something that has potential flaws in it to what you are considering to have potential flaws, uh, then it it wouldn't make any sense. And so uh, by Acts 
than saying that we are this is our standard that God has given us. These are the words of God. Um, we can then say that if that's our standard, we can now apply that to the rest of what uh, is found in Scripture. Does that make sense? It does. I, I want to question you just a little bit, just to make sure that I'm I'm going in the right direction. I, I think I think I agree with the jump you made, but but I want to make sure that we realize that we're making a jump from uh, God giving us words that are profitable, from God giving us words for life, to the next uh, phrase that Stephen, correct me if you didn't say this, but I, I believe you used the phrase. Um, infallible or, you know, w- without flaw. I think that's what you said, that, that, that there was no flaw in what God says. Um, is it just by the very nature of God that we would say that anything that he inspires therefore has no flaws because he is perfect or, or what am I missing in our chain of thought here? Uh, well, there, there's a few parts of that sentence that you just said that uh, I would need to take it piece by piece, but the, uh, well, it's a short podcast, so go quick. Well, all right. So first of all, you say, are any of the words that God speaks, uh, let's first, first of all, anything that comes out of God's mouth is truth. So starting from there, if God speaks something and whatever vessel he puts that through. Um, Can God tell a parable? Well, first of all, are, are we in agreement that God is using vessels to pass his word? Because there are other people that believe that uh, it's not necessarily God using people as a vessel, but people are just giving uh, their interpretation of what uh, they believe God's message to be, and that uh, a council of uh, believers later in time said, yeah, this really checks out, and uh, there's nothing really out of uh, the Christian doctrine that um, we are uncomfortable with, we'll put this in the canon. Uh, that's not how it works. Uh, right, uh, at least right. that's what I believe. I and agree. So the, the truth that God speaks, he's using these people as vessels. And so uh, the Holy Spirit working through these people, which I believe we have found the connection with the breath of God there, um, those people are writing God's words pen, pen to paper. Now, I think we need to be able to give specifics about what that means when these God, uh, with the, these believers, when they're writing God's word. Is it their words? Is it God uh, telling them word for word what to write? Uh, we need—I I don't say we need to, but we need to at least have a uh, uh, a discussion about what is the m- most logical or. Um, plausible explanation for what that means. Daniel, do, do you see any any flaws in the, in the logic that we've uh, taken so far? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll, first of all, I'll bring us back to um, the idea of God breathed. I think um, while I would agree with y'all, um, as I think we should agree that Scripture is infallible. Um, I think what we we mean by that needs to be tested. Um, so again, yeah, going back to the idea of God breathed, our our best example is um, going back to uh, to Adam, 
and how Adam is in some way invigorated. He is given life by God because the, the breath of life is put into him. Now, I think with um, some certainty, we can say that Adam is not perfect, um, not just in his moral character, as we see later, um, but Adam um, is not perfect by very nature of being a human. Um, Hold on. What we got to... We know based upon uh, the account of Genesis that what God created was perfect because he said it was, so. It was good. So at the time when God breathed life into Adam, he was perfect. So, okay, l- let me see if I can get a middle ground here. So scripture says God made man uh, and it was good. You know, that, that's what God says after each day, that each each of the days are good. Now, he did not make... He did not make Adam to be another god. He did, he does not have the same qualities that God has. So to the degree that those god qualities are perfection, Adam is not perfect in that way. Um, Adam also has the ability to sin, which God does not have, or God the Father at least. We could talk about Jesus. That's another podcast. But Adam has the capability of becoming uh, a sinful creature, um, created being. Uh, but finally, I, I think going along with what Stephen is saying, that God made Adam just the way he wanted to, and that was in a state of the perfection of manhood. He, he, he uh, before sin, Adam would not die. Uh, Adam, Adam was made to be the specimen that God wanted him to be. So there's a balance between perfection and imperfection. Well, yeah, and we're getting into the topic of why did God create man. I'll simplify it as God is love. He created us to worship him and have a relationship of love and to be able to show his power and love within the acts of creation. But uh, God breathed. I personally don't see a connection, um, a direct connection, I should say, between God breathing life into Adam and the breath of God uh, being related to inspiration. Uh, that's why I was going with, if we want to link the breath of God to inspiration, it has to be through the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I don't think we're necessarily going the right direction trying to compare so, it to Adam. But I did, I, I, I'll, I, I'll leave it back to you guys. I disagree. Uh, but, uh, Stephen, I, I agree with you. We shouldn't spend all of our time here. Um, I, I would say that God, God puts his life into man. And so therefore, when he puts his life, uh, his, his, his breath of life into scripture, that is saying that man is not complete without all of the breath of God. So not only can man not exist without God, man cannot exist except for having the very words of God. And, you know, so that's the scripture that Jesus quotes to Satan. When he's being tempted, uh, man does not live on bread alone, but by every, uh, by every, I'm, I'm not quoting this right, but by every uh, word of God. Um, so, you know, th- there is a connection, a life-giving connection between the life that God has given to us and the scripture that he has given to us. Now, we don't have to stretch it out more than this, but any, Daniel, any thoughts here before we move on? Uh, yeah, the only, the point I was uh, going towards, and uh, Michael, you, you touched on this was the the relationship there should at least show us that um, by nature of being God breathed does not um, dictate that something is 
in fact made then equal with God. Um, that's the only connection I want to make there. So Adam is not God. He is limited. He is human. Though, yeah, he is the perfection of what it means to be a limited human. Um, he is still not equal to God. Now, bringing that back to our discussion of Scripture, while we can affirm that Scripture is just as God wants it to be, that Scripture is um, is perfect in that sense, um, I think we have to understand that Scripture is not equal to God. Um, one, and that we, we want to avoid uh, bibliolatry, the making the Bible an idol. Um, but sure. beyond that, in a more practical sense, is um, we have to understand um, that the Scripture is probably our next closest analogy to what Scripture is, is the person of Jesus. Um, and that analogy, which is there's only one other thing where we know where um, God comes and commingles with uh, humanity, and that is the incarnation. And we see, I think, that makes it our closest analogy to what Scripture is, where it's God's words in human words. Um, as such, I think it's important to realize that it's not just God's words um, in uh, end or stop. Um, it's God's words in human words. And so a part of that brings a level of accommodation um, and a lowering, a, uh, a emptying of God to communicate with humans. Now, that's, uh, that said, I do want to, again, affirm that the context of 2 Timothy 3, uh, from verse 15 through 17, we see Paul's point holds true that Scripture is uh, simply a statement of, um, or is a, a message of salvation. That is what it's useful for teaching and righteousness. Um, and in that way, yeah, it's infallible. It's perfect for God's intention there. Um, but we also see that um, it is nonetheless not equal to God and an accommodation. What are y'all's thoughts on that? I'm sure there's some pushback. Yeah, I, I well, I definitely uh, agree with what we when we see what it's useful for and its connection to salvation. Obviously, man could not offer something uh, as standard for us to uh, have righteousness by. This has to come from God. Uh, another verse that uh, is critical for our conversation is second peter chapter 1 verse 21 where it says for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit so again this is not something that is coming from men it is something that god has revealed through revelation uh, by the holy spirit uh, and that's why I, again, was trying to make the connection between the Holy Spirit ha it has to be present in this, this situation, um, that these men were given a revelation to God that then became Scripture. So um, I think that uh, that verse from Peter is interesting in how it bears on our more uh, complex uh, theology of Revelation, which we are all bringing to the table, something that's a little bit more complex than what the Bible directly gives us. I want to uh, posit what uh, 
Alexander Campbell's theology of Revelation is to y'all real quick, because I think it might match name, up a little name bit. Name drop, name drop. Yeah, um, and I want y'all to tell me how much you agree or disagree with this, and I think that'll give us a good uh, barometer to uh, for testing the rest of our conversation. So Campbell believes that uh, Revelation, in the strictest sense of the word, is only referring to... Um, ideas from God that he reveals to humans that they could not otherwise have known on their own. Now, um, if you believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, uh, that means he is there for um, a large section of those events, uh, such as the Exodus. Um, or we could even, uh, let's, let's, flash, let's just move this conversation more to Matthew writing the gospel. So Matthew's there for a lot of the stuff because he's an apostle. Um, so he doesn't really have, that information doesn't have to be revealed to him. He saw these things happen, and so he writes about them. But he, um, maybe some of these things, the the knowledge of what is going on in Jesus' mind, or, um, or just the fact that Jesus himself is revelation. Um, it, that is God speaking through a person. So Matthew, what we find in the Gospel of Matthew is a combination of Matthew just relating events, but also relating something that is specifically given from God, in this case, Jesus. Um, or you could look to God saying when during Jesus' baptism, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So that's just direct words from God. So that's, that is revelation proper. So that's what Alexander Campbell would say. Revelation is just people who are relating events, but they're also relating pure revelation which is the words of God or Jesus or something like that. He would add on to that, though, that by the power of the Spirit, we believe that all of these things have been tested to make sure that they are accurate and trustworthy. Um, does that make sense, that idea of what Revelation is? So would, would Campbell say that the Spirit is involved in both the revelation of unknown information and in the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The insurance of uh, accuracy for the non-revealed, or I guess for both revealed and non-revealed. Yeah, so the Spirit's work is a lot more evident, obviously, in the the second category. We're ensuring that everything is uh, up to snuff. Um, why, sorry, why, why isn't... I think that the Spirit's work is... It's equally amazing in both that he tells you things that you never knew before. And, okay, yes. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Sorry, I, I was misunderstanding you. Yes. So, yeah, he would say the Spirit is involved in both those things. Any new knowledge and then ensuring the author when he's writing about knowledge he already had. Okay, thanks. What do y'all think about that? Does that match up with what y'all think or does it, um, does it pose new problems? So, I'm... So I've never heard it phrased in that way, but I think it goes along with what I've al already thought, or always, I want to say always, yeah. what I already thought. So, And his influence is clearly what is where we have learned our theology of Revelation. And Daniel, just because you, you are more of a historian of theological thought than we are, would you say that that was new to him? Or, I mean, I would imagine that that would have gone back even before him, but I don't know. Um. Yes and no. Um, he is 
somewhat of an innovator, um, but his thought is is really it in, innovates by being a combination of traditional Protestant thought, um, which we see he's mirrored by, um, and I don't want to take us too far in this direction, but just briefly. At the same time with Campbell, we get these people called the Old Princeton Theologians. And they're these guys who sort of formalize what we today think of as just uh, traditional conservative doctrines of inspiration. B.B. Uh, Warfield, uh, Carl Henry's later, uh, Hodge, and others. And they're the people saying... Charles like, Hodge? Yeah, Charles Hodge. Um, and they're the people giving us this... Uh, inerrancy and foul doctrines and sort of the mechanics of that. Um, Campbell mirrors them, but is also heavily influenced by the Enlightenment, specifically John Locke and Thomas Reed of common sense realism philosophy. So he's kind of bringing those together to give us the Church of Christ uh, theology well, revelation. Considering that the people paid nothing for this podcast, I say they got their money's worth. So thank you, Daniel. That was actually very informative and helpful. Um, Stephen, any any thoughts on kind of that setup that Daniel gave us of, of how the spirit uh, works in the inspiration process? And Daniel, I'm, I'm hoping you'll also give us what some people might have as flaws there. Right. I think I was in the same boat as Michael where, I mean, what you presented was something that I, I don't see any conflict with what I've been taught. And obviously what I've been taught was probably a stem from what Campbell uh, had stated there. Uh, but yeah, there, there's nothing out of the ordinary that really uh, struck me uh, one way or the other. Um, and, and I think it kind of aligns with what we've been saying uh, so far in our discussion. Yeah, and I, I sympathize with that a great deal. I obviously, I mean, I kind of hold different beliefs than y'all on this topic, and I think that's evident in our conversation. Um, but a, a lot of my thought comes from this tradition that the three of us have inherited and most of our peers in the Church of Christ have inherited. And so I, I like a lot of what it says. Now, some criticism I would throw out there, and I want y'all's feedback on oh, that, we will criticize you <laughs> is um so campbell kind of assumes that the language of scripture is um reliable at all times now i i can't go too in depth into this but it's been um basically since during the 20th century there's been a lot of criticism of our ability to um, always fully understand language. For Campbell, we can, if we apply the the right hermeneutic to reading scripture, we should come to the same conclusions, which are the right conclusions about all spiritual matters. Um, and that optimism seems problematic to me, and I would say, I think, for others as well, um, that I'm not sure it is always possible to come to the same right conclusions when reading any piece of literature, specifically something as complex and as uh, distant from us as the Bible is in its origins. Um, I'll, I want to hear y'all's feedback on that, and then maybe I have some other stuff. Sure, I'll, I'll give a, a quick uh, response. Uh, I, I have always been one to not try 
to give the cop out, well, that's where God's grace covers things. But I do in this case think that where uh, the Bible is being critiqued on a daily basis by millions and millions of people um, at, at what, and we come to all these tiny little disagreements, disagreements that end up giving us completely uh, far, far differences in theology. And at, at some point you have to say, okay, these, uh, what you are doing is not necessarily trying to take everything that God has presented us in scripture and get the full picture where you're just deciding to uh, make your own religion. But when you have people that are genuinely trying to come to a truthful answer of what Scripture is, I do think God's grace uh, does come into play there. But that is, an, again, something that is very hard to define, where uh, somebody that honestly with their uh, whole heart believes in original sin, I do not. Uh, does that come down to being a salvation issue? That's a... a something for another podcast uh but god's grace i think will cover those who are genuinely trying to follow his word because that's what he's called us to do and if you are being mistaken on the truth then uh that is the responsibility for those that do know the truth to share that with those that don't know uh but yeah. as far as inspiration goes um i i think that again i'm going to be in the school of thought and i just founded this school uh that you have to you have to connect inspiration with the presence of the holy spirit and not necessarily rely on uh god breathed as your reason for scripture being infallible so let, let me give one of my thoughts on on what daniel has said and uh, as a tease for our next podcast we're going to be talking about uh how we got the Bible. That's the topic for our next podcast. So I'm not going to go too deep into this, but um, I wanted to, to quote from a sermon I heard from Dr. Daniel Wallace. Uh, he's a scholar in textual criticism from uh, the Reformed traditions. And um, just to, to give some numbers, he talks about the number of textual variants that we have. Uh, so, you know, the difference is that where we would say, you know, has the text been changed over time? And he would point toward, uh, he would put the number at around 400,000. And for, for those who would say, whoa, that's a huge number. You know, that, that's a lot of textual variance. You have to remember though, is that we have, uh, over, uh, and I, I'm, I'm quoting from here, from Dr. Wallace here. We have more than 2.6 million pages of you know, Greek New Testament manuscripts. In fact, 5,839 Greek New Testament manuscripts. Um, and so when you, we're talking about these variants, uh, from my interpretation... Correct. Say, say again? I said it was less than a, than 1%, correct? Well, but but these, these variants, are they actually hitting on... Uh, the the issues where they're changing the meaning of yeah. of what the text is actually saying very very little of that now we can't say that none of it is there we could all very quickly go to some maybe some famous ones but the, I don't think 
that, you know, textual critics have, you know, poked holes into what I would see as, as some of the main concerns of scripture. And some would say, well, that's because it's the most uh, highly quoted, uh, highly published book of all time where, you know, where people were quoting these New Testament passages early and often. However, those of us who are people of faith would say, yes, it's that, but mainly it's that God wanted these words to be preserved, that God uh, was, was miraculously involved. Uh, and I, I hesitate to use the word miracle because I know that's a loaded term, but I, I think that it's, it's close to it that, you know, compared to any other book in history, and, and Wallace goes into like, you know, like, let's put that up next to Homer or some other book from, you know, years and years ago, that the Bible stands way above any other book in its reliability. And that's because it's so important to the human race. Uh, Daniel, I might have gone off from where you wanted to go and too much into what we'll talk about next week, but um, wh- what are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the point I was trying to make is more of a, a critique of uh, meaning and being able to interpret meaning from reading something less to do with is what we're reading actually what was written. Um, but I think the point that you make is still valuable in pointing out that um, as Christians, we have some sort of reliance, even if we don't think um, like Stephen was saying that we will agree on everything and we are trying to sincerely and honestly um, and interpret the Bible and be uh, disciples of Christ who we, we proclaim as God. Um, that I think there is grace to be had there. Um, sure. But also say, just like you said, Michael, that God is trying to, to help us in this process of knowing him. He wants us to know him as much as we want to know him. If not, obviously more, more. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, the other criticism, and we're running low on time, so I know we're not going to be able to talk about this. Maybe, uh, maybe for season four of the Religion Ooh. and Story podcast. Um, uh, that's something. I wonder if we, for listeners get renewed. Oh yeah, listeners, the, the brothers will have to agree on that before it ever happens. There's a lot of bureaucracy to work through. <laughs> um, the the other main criticism is essentially. Um, what has, I, I actually just learned this term within the last few months. I had not heard it before, but sometimes what is called the, uh, Bible and Babel controversy. Um, that's more of a specific thing to what I'm about to address, but it, the idea that, um, in the last 200 years, maybe, um, there has been, uh, a lot of archeological and textual, um, and more than nitty gritty stuff that ha- has little to do with theology of um, criticisms that have been pushed towards the Bible, often by believers, people who themselves accept Jesus as God, um, but sometimes by those outside the faith. And some of these criticisms have had really important impact on how we understand the Bible and what how we understand the doctrine of inerrancy, and that's what's caused a lot of people to differentiate inerrancy from infallibility. Um, and that's that's one thing that has influenced my ideas on this topic, and I know uh, me and my brothers, we, we go back and forth uh, on this a, a lot, and I think it's important for everyone to wrestle with individually. 
is how do we deal with these criticisms of uh, what you might call the traditional interpretation of the Bible and understanding of how the Bible was written and its uniqueness or its uh, diversity within itself and all those sorts of topics. So, Daniel, before we go to our concluding thoughts, can you give just a real quick explanation of what is meant by the Bible and Babel controversy? Or Yeah, okay, so the Bible and Babel controversy, um, and this isn't really my area, but uh, as I understand, I think that's specifically referring to the parallels that have been drawn between uh, the Bible and older um ancient texts from around that area, but also just throughout the ancient world. Um, Probably the most famous of which is the Epic of Gilgamesh, which a lot of people read in school nowadays. Um, And so it's seeing that some of these stories of the Bible um, seem to uh, not be as unique as we think, or perhaps a a more troubling um, illustration is where it looks like uh, the Bible is um, taking material from outside of itself, um, that it's adopting material from other ancient literature. So that's kind of what's entailed in the Bible and Babel controversy. Okay. So we've touched on a lot of topics, and perhaps for our listeners, we have asked more questions than we have answered. Hopefully this will uh, spark more conversations, but... Let's give some closing thoughts. Uh, Stephen, why don't you start us off? What's your takeaway and what should someone be thinking about after listening to this podcast? Well, the one verse that I would really hang my hat on, uh, so to speak, would be the uh, Peter, uh, sorry, 2 Peter 1 verse 21, um, saying that prophecy never had its origin uh, in the will of man, but it was... uh, men spoke from what God had told them or was carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is really where we can see that uh, it's God's word being spoken in scripture and that the the words or the Greek word, at least, theopneustos is not something that we can say from this verse and only this verse, we can definitely say without question that uh Scripture itself is standalone, flawless, and a word of God. If you were, if you walked into a church building and you had never experienced Christ before in your life, and somebody said, "This is what we believe in," and they handed you that one verse, I it, it does not, it does not hold its own, and that is why we have the entire canon that we do that God has blessed us with, and the rest of Scripture. Uh, it, it interweaves with itself and connects itself as if it was its own network of uh, ideas and theology and psychology. All of it put into one is what makes it work. And how did we come with, to this book? It, it's a miracle, really. And the fact that God allowed us uh, to have this is a blessing. And we need to uh, thank God for giving us his word as it is. Uh, because it is a source of salvation for us. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, give my concluding thoughts by saying I I really like what uh, Stephen said, that sometimes we we try to make this 
um, what's really a very important part of the Christian theology and doctrine, this idea of revelation and inspiration, we try to simplify it um, too much where we may look at big verses like 2 Timothy 3.16, when in fact we need to uh, look beyond that and have a broader scope and bring in uh, passages from um, from First and Second Peter, as well as from the Old Testament, and we bring all of this in together to inform how we understand what I think is a more complex uh, doctrine of inspiration, while maintaining this idea that yes, God God wants to communicate Himself, and so He wants us to know, um, as Paul says, uh, the what is valuable for salvation and for righteousness. Um, obviously, I, I would differ and say, um, based on, I, I, I would look internal in the text. I think there are some things that I would say point towards uh, my point of view, but also looking at some external evidence that should inform how we are um, interpreting the Bible and developing these doctrines. I'd say it may lead us to different um, conclusions, but all in all, I think we can definitely say um, that God has given us this word from him. It is, it is a gift to us to communicate his will and his nature to us as his followers. For my concluding thought, Daniel, I don't think I'm disagreeing with you, but I'm just going to be contrary for a bit. I think the fact that humans have different interpretations of scripture is a feature and not a bug of scripture. Because scripture is so important millions, billions of people have have poured their lives into it. Uh, perhaps uh, tens, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of scholars have poured years of, of research into it. And so it, it makes sense that we have different interpretations there. Um, that doesn't dev- devalue anything of what you've said or devalue the work of these scholars. We as Christians need to be aware that, that even though it is, you know, the breath of God, it still has to go through a human filter, a very imperfect human filter. However, let us not get, uh, let's not grow weary because of that. You know, the, the best, uh, the best idea about the inspiration of scripture is that it cannot inspire you unless you breathe it in yourself. So uh, for our listeners, spend some time in these thoughts. Make sure that you're aware of some of the basics for when someone challenges you on the inspiration of Scripture. Be aware of some of the things you might need to know about, but also be willing to say that we should be humble as Christians and we don't have all of the answers, but you're happy to study with people who want to know more. Anyway, those are some of our thoughts uh, for this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Uh, like the podcast on the place where you download the podcast. And we look forward to talking to you next time.